0: Again, that's Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 through 47. If you don't have a Bible, it'll also be up on the slides behind me. So this picks up from last week where we left off with the spirits falling kind of at Pentecost and uh, Peter preaching and 3,000 people responding. Luke says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you sent your spirit to inspire me to write down this, this early description of, of what uh, the church was like right after Pentecost, of, of the kind of community that you created in their midst, of the kind of culture that you created in their midst. Jesus, we pray that you would uh, just stir our hearts with with this vision of what you want of your people, of what you want uh, for our community. That you would help us to, to fix our eyes on you as we live life and do life together as a church. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that you live the life we couldn't live in our place, that you are our mediator. That, that all of our, our shortcomings and fears and, and insecurities and, and sin is, is mediated from you to your Father so that he sees you when he looks at us and not us and all of our brokenness. We thank you that you... Don't want to leave us as we are in that, but that you sink your spirit, that you are making us new. You are saving us. You are making us whole. You are making us more like who you desire us to be, like the new creations we are in you, and less like who we were before. We pray that you would help us to to be that together for one another and with one another uh, as a church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, we saw the Spirit fall at Pentecost, we saw Peter Peter preach, we saw all these people Respond. Today, we get uh, this little section, which um, in Luke is known as a, a summary statement. As a good author, he doesn't just kind of move from one thing to the next. He, he transitions. He, he brings the readers along with him. And one of the ways he does that is through summary statements that we're going to see throughout the early chapters of Acts as we move through. This is the, the first one. In this, he tells us a lot about uh, the, the things they did as a church, who they were as a church. Um, And and specifically, right, he tells us about the kind of community that that Jesus and his gospel creates in the church. This is our, our first glimpse at kind of who these people are and how they live. Um, and so that is what we need to see this morning. We need to see that this is the kind of community that Jesus creates, this is the kind of community his spirit creates, this is the kind of community the gospel creates, this is it. Um, and like Caleb talked about earlier, when I remember like reading this passage in college and thinking, what is wrong with all of these churches? Right, like, they're not like this. Like, I haven't been in a community like this, and in, you know, in my kind of naive uh, early 20s optimism, I remember being, like, really, really judgmental. You know, like, have these churches, have these pastors not read the book of Acts? Like, what what is, what is wrong with them? And the answer to that question is, we are what's wrong with them. Right? The reason why churches aren't like this is because they're full of people like us who aren't perfect, who are broken, who who don't want to share, who don't want to have things in common. We want, we want ours, who don't want to meet needs, who don't want to share needs, who, who don't want to devote themselves to other people because that means then other people will need things from us. But what excites me about this passage now is that my view of how this happens has changed dramatically. Right? It's, it's not on the pastors. It's not on the churches. It's not on the people to create this kind of community. Right? And that's why I think it's really important uh, for us to remember that even though when we, when we study passages of Scripture like this one or when we read the Bible on our own or when we go through it in MCs, we often study little chunks like this. And as we do that, it's really easy for us to separate it from everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it. Right? Like, if we just read this passage without talking about what happened at Pentecost last week, we might walk away from this text thinking, well, now I've got this to-do list. Right? I've got all these things. I need to devote myself to the Apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. I need to be more generous with my possessions. I need to do all of these things. Because then if I do all these things, we'll have community like this. passage is in the midst of a book. This passage happens because of what the Spirit does in Pentecost, because God empowers his people to live like this, to be like this, and so it's not a to-do list for us to be burdened by, but instead it's something that Jesus has done for us, for us to walk in. I think that's really important, right? Because I don't ever want you, and I don't want myself, when I'm sitting out there, to leave here overburdened by a list of things I need to do. I want to leave here reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, and that it's not about what I do, it's about what he has done for me. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to try to challenge you, I'm not going to push you, and we don't need to do things. We need to put those things in their proper places. We live and be and exist as Jesus' church because of what he has done for us. We walk in the good works he has prepared before him. He purchased this kind of community with his blood. And that makes me less cynical and less judgmental and more hopeful that this can actually happen if we stop trying to make it about us and remember that it's about him. It's not about my efforts. It's about His Spirit working in me. And that begins to overcome those fears and insecurities and doubts we have and pushes us away from ourselves and toward other people in faith in Christ. So I'm excited. To look at this passage with you this morning. We see the kind of community that Jesus creates, that He He has created. It's not something we do, it's not something we can program, it's not something we can plan, we can't put systems in place to make this happen. It's something that He does for us by His Spirit. So the first thing we see here is that they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to uh, the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they devoted themselves to four things. Devotion is kind of like, like love and, and loyalty and joy kind of all smashed into one thing. Right? They, were, they, they cared about one another, they were committed to one another, they, they were excited about being with one another, and they were excited about doing these things together. So they were devoted to these things. The first one, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles are the guys that were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the first witnesses of Jesus. And through them, we get what we have as the Old Testament, the, the New Testament. Sorry. Like we get the New Testament through the apostles. And the reason why that's important is because it might be possible for some people to read this passage and misunderstand it and think, I'm supposed to devote myself to some person's teaching like my teaching, or or someone else who is up here, or or someone at some other church. But this is the apostles' teaching, which we now have as the New Testament. And so we're not called to devote ourselves to a person, whether they call themselves an apostle or not. We are called to devote ourselves to the teaching of the New Testament. And the reason why that's important, the reason why that's significant, is because the apostles weren't focused on, on kind of dry and boring theology. The apostles were focused on teaching us more about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so when they say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to learning more about who Jesus is and what he's done. They were devoting themselves to the good news of Jesus and all of he's accomplished. Right? They weren't devoted to the apostles. They were devoted to the apostles' message, which was Jesus' message. They were also devoted to, to the fellowship. I think the definite article here is important. The fellowship. The reason why I think it matters is because we often uh, use fellowship to just kind of be like a super spiritual version of hanging hanging out with somebody or spending time with someone. Right? We got together and played board games, and because we're all Christians, it's fellowship. So it's better. But I think you know whether or not you've had fellowship with someone by, by what happens in you when you leave. And so to give you an example of that, this week I've, I've had a few meetings where, where we talked about, about hard and heavy things and difficult circumstances. And like I, 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 I ended that meeting, I walked away from those meetings with, with a burden because of those things. But at the same time, I was, I was buoyed by a, a renewed love for Jesus because of the conversations and the things we talked about, the way the Spirit worked through that fellowship, and had left more encouraged and more drawn to Jesus. That is what fellowship does. It doesn't just make us happy. It doesn't just give us a chance to beat somebody in a game. And fellowship draws us to Jesus. It, it woos us to Him. It pushes us closer and closer and closer into His presence, into communion with God. Fellowship is, is a way that Jesus uses another human being, another brother or sister in Christ, to draw us to Himself. Right? Like Caleb talked about, He's, he's not that teenager that doesn't want to get up for school, He wants to be with us. And fellowship is when we allow other people to push us to Him. They were devoted to fellowship. They were also devoted to to the breaking of bread. This is kind of a reference to to the Lord's Supper. That, that practice continued in the life of the early church, but it also happened within the context of a meal. As they, as they ate together, as they spent time together. As they had the fellowship. They also ate together. They had the breaking you know, of bread. And I think that what this points to is whether they were celebrating the Lord's Supper or they were just sharing a meal. They ate together with intentionality. And I think that we're called to do the same thing. I think one of the reasons why we see food kind of take on this this, this function in the life of believers is because it's one of the things God uses to remind us of his relationship to us, of of kind of who we are under him. As human beings, we need food. If I don't take something from outside myself and put it inside myself, I die. Even if it's just like an IV. Right? If I don't get sustenance from outside, I will not survive. I'm not independent. I'm not self-sufficient. I need something else. And also, if we think about how God is abundantly and graciously providing for us with food, He, he, he doesn't just give us water and like food powder that, that meets all of our dietary needs. He gives us apples and oranges and pineapples and cucumbers and tomatoes and avocados and beef and chicken and fish and shrimp and lobster and all of this crazy abundant variety that then we can put spices on and there's a whole bunch of those. We can do so many things with our food so that we enjoy more of God's creation. He doesn't just meet our need. He meets our need with an abundant lavish crazy provision. And when we eat It's an opportunity for us to remember that. It's an opportunity for us to preach the gospel to ourselves and one another as we remember that God has met our need. We need something outside of ourselves to have life. We need Jesus. And in Jesus, he has met our need with an abundant provision. And there are people all around the world who don't enjoy him as they should, who don't know him as they ought. Food is a reminder that, that we have needs and God has met those needs, and that others have needs, and that God has met those needs. We get to enjoy Him through food. The apostles' teaching, they were devoted to that because They were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to fellowship because they were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to eating together with intentionality because they were devoted to Jesus. And they used these things in their life, in their culture, in the way they interacted with one another, to draw themselves and push their brothers and sisters in Christ closer to Him. The fourth thing, they devoted themselves to prayer. And prayer is all about communion with God. It's one of the ways he draws us closer to himself. Jesus taught the disciples to pray relationally. Right? They're not praying to some detached, impersonal God. They pray to him as our Father. It's something they enter into together, it's a relationship they're in together. Jesus draws them closer. He draws us closer through prayer. And so they're doing these things. They're devoted to these things because they are devoted to Jesus. Luke says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And we just saw last week in the passage, 3,000 people believed the gospel. We saw 120 people empowered by the Spirit and start speaking in languages that they didn't know. Other people who didn't know them heard them speaking in their languages, right? These amazing, miraculous things were happening, and the response to that is awe. They were filled with wonder. They were filled with reverence. They were filled with a a little bit of fear. They were kind of just confused and perplexed and amazed about what had taken place. God is doing amazing things through his people as they're empowered by his spirit to live like he calls them to live. Next, Luke tells us that they uh, were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. As we go through this section, I'm going to say a couple things that will probably make you uncomfortable. And that's on purpose, right? Because sometimes we need Scripture to make us uncomfortable. Here they are. They are sharing their possessions. They are selling their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They have all things in common. They're together. Um, and that's different. Right? That's, 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 that's a little out there for us as modern Americans who live in the society that we live in. We don't, we don't live like this. And so we should ask ourselves, why? First of all, I think that there's a difference because they are in a less individualistic society than we are, right? They have more of a collective mindset than we do. I think another reason is because they have had less time to try to explain away all the things Jesus said in the Gospels about generosity. And so they just, they just did it. I think that part of it has to do with with how we view our possessions, and I think it gets back to doing everything with intentionality. Luke Luke hasn't changed the subject here, right? They were devoted to those four things. They were devoted to doing those things with intentionality, and they take that same mindset and apply it to their possessions, right? If we're not intentional with with how we use, acquire, and, and get rid of things, then we're just going to do what we want with them. I'm going to keep my stuff because it's my stuff and I like it. That's why I have that stuff because I, I wanted it and I and I bought it or I borrowed it and just kept it. I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> but when we remember that God is the one that's given us everything, everything. Everything that we have, our, our, our homes, every single, single dollar and cent in our bank account, all the stuff in our house, everything we have is given to us by God. And I'm not saying that, like, you don't work hard for your things. Because I know that the vast majority of people in this church are incredibly hard workers. So I'm not saying you don't work hard for your stuff, but what I'm saying is that your job, your work ethic... Your, your, your skills, your talents, your abilities, your body, your breath, everything was given to you by God. So even saying, like, I worked hard for my stuff. Yeah, you did. But you used God's stuff to do that. Everything we have, everything that we are, everything that we own, everything that we, we rent or borrow is given to us by God. It's not our stuff. It's His stuff. And sometimes, like in this passage right here, God wants to redistribute His wealth. He wants to take away, take around, take what's his and move it around. And that phrasing probably makes us uncomfortable. But in practice it doesn't. Right? We, we just saw this recently. We we're trying to raise money for a building. Dinesh is trying to raise money for a building. Money goes way farther over there than it does over here. And so God took some of what was borrowed by us from him here and moved it over there just moving his stuff around. We are just stewards. We just take what he has given us and use it to the best of our abilities. We're bad stewards when we're selfish. We're bad stewards when we're more concerned about how it's ours than that it's his. He's given us wealth to use it for his glory, for his kingdom, for others, and not just ourselves. I think what we see in this passage is Jesus' people empowered by His Spirit to, to live in, in the radically generous way he calls us to in the Gospels. Now that I've made some of you uncomfortable, let's go to the other side. Right? There are people that would argue that like this passage teaches like communism or an early form of it. They're, like, All of us should just live in a Christian commune. I'm not saying that. This passage does not say that. Um, These people, like this, this is it's it's God's stuff. They're entrusted with the steward, but that doesn't mean that there's not private property. That doesn't mean that there's not private ownership. In fact, later in Acts, we're going to get to Ananias and Sapphira. Peter says to them, "Like, what was it not yours?" The land that they sold and then lied about, it was there. They could have done whatever they wanted with it. They could have kept it, and that would have been okay. They could have sold it and kept the money, and that would have been okay. The problem with them is not that they weren't willing to share. The problem with them is that they pretended they were sharing and lied about it. So I'm not saying we should all be communists. I think that would be bad for other reasons. What I'm saying is that we should be more generous. Because Jesus calls us toward generosity. Even when it makes us uncomfortable. Even when he calls us to give up things we don't want to give up. Because the reality is, is when Jesus is the most important thing to us, when he is the greatest thing, the lesser things in our life are easier for us to give away. Because we see them in their proper place. We, we value them with the right value. We're well under him in what he requires of us. So I think we should press into this. Now, I say that, and I also want to say I our church is incredibly generous. I think that the way in which we can grow is in giving in ways which we're less comfortable with. And so for example, personally, it's really easy for me to give to BC. Because I have a whole lot of control over how that money gets spent. And I know that I agree with it, right? I agree with where every dollar goes. But when I give to people that I, I don't have that kind of control over, or is, I'm less okay with, it, it makes me nervous. And so, to give you a specific example, um, like right now, there's stuff going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, which, which makes me very uncomfortable. And it makes me less excited about giving money to them. I'm not saying we're not going to give money to them, because we do, but I'm uncomfortable with things that are happening. And if you want to know more about that, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. I don't want to get into it now, because it would not be good. I would, I would say things that I probably shouldn't say. So the point is, when we give to organizations that we're, we're less okay with, it forces us to have more faith. That God is doing what he wants through our generosity rather than us having the ability to control it by human means. Right? When, when we step out in faith, not knowing exactly what's going to happen with the, with the return from our gift, it forces us to depend on him and not on ourselves. I think that that is what we're seeing in this passage. These people are putting their faith in Jesus and not in their possessions. Not even in their generosity, they're drawing close to Him with how they use their possessions. Next, he says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There's a few things we need to see here. The first is that they're still going to the temple, day by day, they're attending the temple. Which seems strange. Right? Because they're they're not they're not Jews anymore, now they're Christians. But they're going to the temple and like sacrifices are still being offered and like all of that stuff is still happening and they're they're participating in that worship. And that, that seems weird. And the reason why it seems weird is because I think times when we look at Acts, we over idealize it and think that like they just had it all together. They had it all figured out. Right? They're doing these things like they're the best church ever but they didn't have it all figured out. They're still still in the process of working out their theology. They're still figuring out how do we interact with the temple? How how do we relate to Jews? This is is new, this is fresh, the Spirit's just fallen. And that's encouraging to me because we're still working out things too. We don't don't have it all figured out. We haven't arrived. We're still working out our theology. and things are gonna change, You know, several years ago, we did community groups. Now we do missional communities. Fifteen years from now, we might do something else. Like, our commitment to Jesus isn't going to change. But some of the ways we work that out probably will. And that's okay. That's, That's a good thing. That's one of the ways God grows us and changes us. And in this passage, we get a glimpse that they don't have it all together either. And that's all right. I also want to draw your attention to the fact that he says that uh, they, they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The reason why I think it's important for us to think about this is because practically a lot of us have have homes with young kids. And maybe your houses are very different than mine, but there are times where we're eating a meal together and, and I would not characterize the attitudes around the table as, as glad and generous hearts, <laughs> right? Somebody doesn't like something, something's mad, and we have this thing instead of something else. Kids are throwing fits, and then the person who made the food doesn't feel loved and just gets mad, and then, you know, it's, it's just kind of a, a train wreck all around the table. Like, that that happens. And in those moments, it's, it's easy as a parent to look around and think, I'm a failure. <laughs> We are so far from being devoted to Jesus by how we're we'll receiving our food. Like, I don't know how to get there. We don't have glad and generous hearts. We have we have mad and like, I don't know, frustrated selfishness. selfish hearts. But I think even in those moments, it can push us closer to Jesus. When we take time to, to step back, to, to forgive our children for being children, who have preferences, just like we do. When we decide to love them even though they don't love the food we make. I, it, those situations, even in, even in failures, even in the worst family dinners, we can still love Jesus the most. And that probably will not make the dinner better, <laughs> but at least it will make you all love each other more, as you dislike the food together. We also need to see here where Luke says he describes the people and says they had favor with all of the people, and I think this is important for us to see because within within Christianity within the church um, we often hear things like, "Well, if they don't like us, we must be doing something right." And I think in a culture like ours right now, where it's very divided, that kind of attitude is pretty pervasive. But I think that's pretty much the opposite of the truth. There might be that like one time or two times, like in a thousand, where people don't like us because we did the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. Like that that might happen. But I think more often than not, if people have an issue with us, it's probably because of something we did. And if you just kind of honestly assess yourself and think about who you are, I think it becomes easier for us to admit that. Because we're sinners. We're broken. I I, I say the wrong thing. I say mean things. I'm I'm harsh, or I don't say the hard thing that I should say. Instead, I just shrink back. Like In situations with people, we wrong people. Because we're wrong people sometimes. And so when someone has something against us, we should not assume that we're doing something right. We should assume, I did something wrong. Right, if people think that, that you're a jerk by how you talk about the gospel, it's probably because you're a jerk. It's probably because you need to grow in compassion in the way you talk about Jesus, the way you talk about truth, the way you interact with people. There's ways in which, like, when we share the gospel with people, when we talk about Jesus with people, we should point them to him by how we do that. had favor with all the people. Now persecution is going to come but I think they were still kind and gracious and generous and pushed people to Christ by who they were and how they lived and what they said. You don't have to choose either or. Now I'm not saying don't stand up for truth. I'm not saying don't preach the gospel. I'm not saying don't be bold and and courageous but I want us, I want myself to be more like Jesus and less like myself. And if you're always like Jesus when he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, you're unbalanced. He said nice stuff too. Way, way more often. So let's be people who have favor with others. Not some people like us, so that people like Jesus. In fact, if we were to flip over to 1 Timothy, we would see that one of the qualifications for elders is being well-liked by outsiders. As believers, we should have reputations that that people have positive thoughts when they think about us. Or if they don't like us, it's because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are. He is what's offensive. The Gospel is what is offensive, not us. Luke says that the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. People were coming into the church. And notice, I don't don't want to push this too far, but notice that there's no, no talk of evangelism here. There's no push to share the gospel here. They're just being who Jesus called them to be in front of other people, and people are seeing the kind of community they're they're seeing the kind of people that they are, and they're saying, I want to be like that. They are falling in love with the Jesus that they are in love with. I'm not saying, right, that we don't preach the gospel. Let's, let's do that. We don't want to push it too far. But we should have a community that is attractive to other people. Not because we're attractive to other people, but because Jesus is. Because when we model him, when we put him on display with how we interact with other people, with how we interact with one another, with the things that we do and the things that we say, uh, we put Jesus on display. And when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. He will draw all women to himself. We just have to point people to him. This is the kind of community the gospel creates, that the spirit creates, that Jesus wants to create in us and through us. It's not something we can do. We can't program it. we can't create systems for, we can't force it to happen. It's something that the spirit has to do in us and through us. And I, I firmly believe that the spirit is working in our church. I'm so encouraged by the conversations I've been having with people about where they want to go as a follower of Jesus and as a member of this church. He is is changing our culture into something that is better. There's something that is less like what we want and more like what he has for us and desires for us. I think the temptation is to try to Push that along. To make that happen. To think. If we, we just program it correctly, then it'll happen. We don't need more programs. We don't need more passion. What we need is more prayer. We need to ask the Spirit to do for us what only He can do. That's why these people are this way. They, remember, they didn't have it all figured out. They didn't have any programs. They're just like, well, let's... Let's listen the apostles, let's have fellowship, let's eat together, let's pray, let's, let's do this stuff, let's see what happens. So, so the push for us today is not to walk out of here and think, well, we need to do exactly what they did. Maybe there's ways in which the Spirit is, is, is pushing you to toward obedience in one of these areas, and, and do that, follow the lead of the Spirit. But what we need to walk away from this passage with is that we can't do this the Spirit can do this in us. So let's be people who who ask the Spirit to work. Who ask Jesus to create the kind of community He desires. To ask the Spirit to to push us towards obedience in them. Towards being the person who's going to step out in faith and start to live like this with one another. That's what we need to have. We need Him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Because that's how the Gospel works. That's what Jesus does. So let's pray now. Jesus, we thank you that you inspired Luke to give us this glimpse, this, this picture of what the, the first. 3,120 members of your church did together regularly. We thank you that Luke gives us this summary immediately after the Spirit falls at Pentecost, protecting us from thinking that we can accomplish this on our own. So we pray that just like you empowered them by your spirit, you would do the same for us. That you would draw us to yourself through the apostles' teaching, through fellowship with one another, through uh, eating together in homes, through prayer, through our, our generosity as we strive to live with the call to the gospel. Jesus, we pray that you would, would sing your spirit and cause us to be discontent with anything less than what you have for us. That we would not be satisfied with the same old church experience or church culture. That we would. And, and work towards and walk in obedience toward what you have for us by your Spirit. We pray now that as we continue in service together that you would use the Psalms, you would use the Lord's Supper, you would use our fellowship together afterwards to draw us closer to yourself, to remind us that, that you have gone before us died in our place. You lived in our place. You rose again and sent your spirit to empower us to walk in the good works you have prepared before for us. Even now, it's not about what we do, but what you have done for us and are doing for us and will do for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.